Tim Kelly is our guest, editorial director of Phillies Nation, contributor to just baseball. Follow him on Twitter at Tim Kelly Sports. And Tim, when I booked you the other day, I thought my first question was going to be, so what do you expect to happen to Aaron Nola, and if not him, who? But here we are. They signed him. $172 million, seven years. How do we feel about this deal, Tim Kelly? I think it's a pretty good deal. I thought he would get a six-year deal between 175 and 190 So it appears kind of like what they did with Grace Harper and Trey Turner. They added not as many years, but they added a year onto this deal to lower the average annual value. It's slightly below $25 million at these numbers if it is indeed 7172 And uh, I think it's a good deal. You keep around a pitcher who has been durable. He's had a few seasons where he's been Cy Young caliber, but he's been in the seasons where he hasn't been Cy Young caliber. He's been someone that gives you 180 to 200 innings. So to me, it's a good deal. And I think what you've done here is you got out in front of the market. Uh, Yamamoto is interesting. Trading for Corbin Burns is interesting. But there was no guarantee we're going to be able to do either of those. You squeezed Aaron Nola, I think, with some of these reports early in the offseason that they were interested in Blake Snell and interested in Sonny Gray. And I think his camp kind of countered by putting the Braves and some other team out there. So I think both sides knew if this was going to happen, it had to happen earlier in the offseason. I certainly didn't think it would happen this early, but it's a good place for the Phillies to be in. Timmy, I love the way you stated that. And I want to get your take on reporting of rumors. Um There are people that believe everything they hear and that they think it's coming directly from a credible source and, oh, my God, it's going to happen. And then there are some people who are dismissive of it who say you can't listen to anything because everybody's got an agenda and they put stuff out there and they contact reporters and information is is hand-fed to certain individuals. I've always been a middle-of-the-road guy. Some things I believe, some things I don't. If it makes sense, I understand it, and I probably believe it. If it doesn't, I get dismissive of it. That's part of your job as a reporter is to work through that. How do you determine what is something that you think is just floated by one side or the other for the purpose of moving needle in an ongoing negotiation? I agree with you completely on you kind of try to find a middle ground and say, okay, this is information. I don't doubt that it's legit, but why is this person – putting this information out there. And in your analysis, you put out that information or you write about information that's been put out, but you kind of try to put it in context. And I don't doubt that the Phillies had some level of interest in Blake Snell or in Sonny Gray or whoever this offseason. But I do think part of putting it out there so early in the offseason was essentially to say to Aaron Nola, hey, we're going to pivot in another direction. We know we need a number one starter. If it's not you, the Phillies are going to go in another direction and sign someone else. So you better kind of meet us somewhere in the middle earlier or sooner rather than later. And the Braves, like I said, they countered and put that information out. And it makes sense that the Braves were interested in Aaron Nola and some other teams were interested in Aaron Nola. But I also think his camp probably put that out there to say that, hey, our side has leverage too. So it is kind of a balancing act. I think it's valuable for the information to be out there that, X team is interested in X player, but you have to take it with a grain of salt and try to understand why it's being put out there. We're talking to Tim Kelly. Uh, So, Tim, the rotation next year is Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Taiwan Walker, Christopher Sanchez. Going into the season, we assume that Lorenzen is gone. Do you think it's those five? Obviously, you need to add depth, right? Nobody gets through a season with five starters, but is that what we're looking at right now? 
Yeah, I think it is those five. I know some people have said, well, could they still sign Yamamoto? Could they still sign Blake Snell? I'd be pretty surprised. I think this is probably going to be the biggest move of the offseason. Not to say they won't sign any other players because they're going to have to sign some other positions to fill out the roster. And they are going to have to find some pitching depth. The problem with doing that, though, is I think it's relatively set, barring an injury, that those are the five going in. So it's not as though you have an open rotation spot that you can sell a veteran on competing for. So uh, I think they have this five, and luckily it's a a group that's been relatively durable because maybe the Achilles heel heading into the season is going to end up being the fact that you don't have eight or nine guys that you're comfortable starting with because the five appears to be relatively set. I I need your opinion on this because I debated it the other night here on WIP with Glenn's friend and mine, Anthony Sanfilippo. Um, Let's say the Phillies can get a player like, oh, I don't know, Shohei Otani, and he wants to come here to Philadelphia. He's willing to come here to Philadelphia. He's going to take less than he's offered elsewhere to come here to Philadelphia. And he's got to be a designated hitter. Would the Phillies keep Kyle Schwarber and play him in left field knowing his defensive deficiencies? Or they go, yeah, Schwarber's a DH. We got Otani. We got to move on. We can get a, a good player for another position and or another arm if we traded Schwarber. There'd be teams very much willing to, to take on Schwarber for their DH spot. What do you think happens if the Phillies get themselves another? I'll even put Reese Hoskins in there as a DH since Harper's going to be the first baseman. Would they keep Schwarber, live with him in left field, or would they look to move him? I think Kyle Schwarber's going to be the DH for the Phillies next year. I, I think that's relatively set. For all the flaws he's hit, 45-plus home runs in back-to-back seasons, the Phillies have gone out of their way to talk about how he's such a great clubhouse influence everywhere he's gone pretty much in his career. They've won. So I, I just don't see that scenario playing out. Certainly not with Otani and probably not with Reese Hoskins. I think Reese Hoskins is going to have a chance to go somewhere where whether it's first base, DH, or a combination of both, he'll be able to do that. He'll probably get a two-year deal, but one that allows him to opt out after the first year if he has a good season and go back out to the free agent market. So I just I don't see either of those scenarios playing out. Uh, I think if you did, if it did play out like Kyle Schwarber, I'm sure there'd be teams interested, but I don't think you're going to get a ton back for an early 30s guy that is limited to DH at this point. So uh, I think Kyle Schwarber comes back as the Phillies DH. Reese Hoskins goes elsewhere, and certainly I think Shohei Otani goes elsewhere. All right, and then we get to spend an entire year having more conversations about whether we should bet leadoff. But we'll leave that aside. <laughs> Tim <laughs> Kelly is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Tim Kelly Sports. we got to get to the bullpen because uh, with Nola back, that solves that, but they still – don't have a closer. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Josh Hader as a free agent. The guy's got terrific numbers, but um, there, there, there's count against him, which is he only likes to pitch when he likes to pitch and so on. What's your best guess now, Tim Kelly, at what they hope to do at closer? I think my best guess is that they have the guys internally, and then you add a veteran. I just a name I would throw out there as possible would be like Adam Adovino. Like you add another veteran that you're comfortable pitching middle innings, but is not necessarily a closer. And Rob Thompson talked in the postseason about how he's kind of changed on this. He previously liked to have an established closer, which is great when you have Mariano Rivera or Roldis Chapman in his prime, like he did in New York. But beyond that, I think he likes having the flexibility to move different guys in there 
You have Jose Alvarado. You have Serenity Dominguez. Gregory Soto has experience there. Even after the postseason, I think the Phillies feel pretty comfortable that Orion Kirkring is going to be a big piece for them next year. So I think they like to have the flexibility to mix and match a little bit. Um, I'm not saying you don't check in on Josh Hader, but I don't anticipate Josh Hader being a Philly next year. Yeah, by the way, just uh, I'll, I'll hand it up to Jody, but none of those names are particularly excite me as a closer, but there you go. But I think Adam Adovino is a huge, I mean huge, Eagles fan. So that would be a plus. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Ricky Ricardo told me that because he was with the Yankees and he used to talk uh, Eagles football with Adovino all the time. But I, I digress. I got a bullpen question for you. And, again, if the NOLA thing hadn't been done today, this would have been a bigger deal, but it gets pushed to the back burner. They tendered contracts to a bunch of guys who are due for uh, arbitration eligibility. They got deals done ahead of time with Garrett Stubbs, Jay Cave, and Dylan Poby. I know it always sounds like I'm beating up on the guy, but I'm just giving you my honest opinion. What did the Phillies see in this guy? Why would you go out of your way to get a contract done with Dylan Colby? Well, with those three, they signed them under what their arbitration projections are. So I, I think that's kind of what you see is that you need arms. He's somebody that can – maybe he's not the sixth guy you turn to for a starter, but he has starting experience. So if you're in a pinch and you need a spot starter, he can do that. And he had some ugly bullpen performances. He also had some stretches where he was relatively reliable, capable of handing, handling mop-up duty or even the game that, I, like, you're up five, six in the ninth, which I don't know is mop-up duty, but it's not high leverage. So I think that's what they see. Uh, and obviously with Garrett Stubbs and Jake Cave, uh, I, I think it may – Cave, I wondered if he'd get non-tendered if he hadn't taken uh, a deal under that value, but he took a deal under what he was projected and Garrett Stubbs did the same. So I think that's why they did that, and then they have the five other guys that they're going to have to either reach deals with or go to arbitration this season. But there weren't really any huge surprises uh, Friday night to me. Yeah, they need Stubbs as a mascot. Uh, all right, last one for <laughs> that's me. That's you, just you wrote, right. Well, I mean, okay, he's the backup catcher who plays once a week. He's known mostly for being fun in the clubhouse. I, it's not a knock. It's just kind of there's real value in that. I, I think I, I'm not knocking it. I I yeah. didn't mean to, I didn't mean to have it come across as pejorative as it was taken. All right, last one from me because you wrote something I thought was pretty interesting uh, about another potential starter, but a guy who won't play this year, and that's Brandon Woodruff, who was non-tendered by the Brewers. Um, you met, you you kind of said he'd be a good guy for the Phillies to sign. Explain your thoughts there. Well, I mean, Brandon Woodruff, even this year when he pitched, he was very good. He didn't pitch a lot this year. But the three or four previous seasons, like he, if you look up MLB leaderboards of who's racking up the most innings, the most war, the most whatever stat ERA that you want to go down to, Brandon Woodruff was in the top five or ten in a lot of those categories for the Brewers. He kind of got uh, outshined by Corbin Burns a little bit, but he was kind of a Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler light type guy that will give you a lot of innings and can compete for a top five or top 10 Cy Young finish, he's going to miss most, if not all, of next season. So kind of what I was saying, and obviously this was before Aaron also, I don't know how that changes their thinking, is that you sign a guy like that for two years, knowing you're not going to get much, if anything, in that first year, but you kind of get to control his rehab. And then when he comes back next season, you have him under contract. You probably have him under contract a lot cheaper than you otherwise would have if he was healthy. And it, it gives you kind of some insurance if 
Zach Wheeler leaves in free agency next offseason or whatever the case may be. And if not, you have Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nolan, Brandon Woodruff on top of whoever else, Ranger Suarez, Taiwan Walker, Andrew Painter could come back into the mix. So I'm not saying it's likely or reporting that it will happen. I think he is an interesting guy for any team to take to kind of sign one of these two-year deals. I like deals your idea. I, 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 I like your thinking on that. Jody, you got a last one? So do I, yes, and I have one last one. Um, it's a nitpick, and feel free to give me a hard time because I'm nitpicking. Josh Fleming. They claim him on waivers. They bring him into the organization. They can't get a pre-arbitration deal done with him, so they non-tender him too. So he was a Philly in name only for what, about 18, 19 days, and now he's going to be a free agent. When you claim a guy off waivers, you know he's arbitration eligible. Don't you at least have to believe that he's worth going to arbitration with? That if he doesn't take the lesson deal that you're offering like uh, Jake Cave and Dylan Covey and the mascot Garrett Stubbs took, uh, <laughs> wh- why would you even bother claiming a guy like that if you don't think he's good enough to, to go to arbitration for? Yeah, he was in the Phillies organization, I believe, for 11 days. So it 11. was not even. I, I, get, not I, even I apologize. <laughs> I had him in for 18. My bad. <laughs> um, I, I think at this time of the year, teams take flyers on guys, and then as they see who else becomes available to claim, uh, ultimately there, there's plenty of examples of guys that get claimed by teams and don't end up spending or even making it to spring training with that team. So, yeah, it, it's possible that they claimed him thinking maybe we can get a deal done under the arbitration value and ultimately that didn't happen or they claimed them after 10 or 11 days they looked at the landscape and felt better about where they had been previously and decided they're going to be able to move forward without them so uh it's a kind of a funny thing to only be in an organization for 11 days and i kind of question whether that's good for players to be able to be claimed multiple times in a season or an off season but yeah that's what happened okay Hey, good stuff. We uh, really love talking to you, Tim Kels. Uh, turned out to be a very interesting day for the Phillies as, <laughs> excuse me, Aaron Nola gets signed to a new deal. Love talking to you, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, TK. Right,